Thursday, August 2nd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Allen. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool 1, Jason Moser. From Motley Fool Pro, Brian Hinman. And from Motley Fool Inside Value, Uncle Joe Mager. Happy Thursday, guys. Hola, Happy Chris. Uh, a lot on our plate today. We're going to talk apparel, coffee, and liquor. That's, that's yes. That sounds like a day well spent. I'm qualified on two of three of those. <laughs> we'll get to all three, but we're going to start with cars. General Motors reported a 41% drop in second quarter profits. Uh, Joe Mager, stop me if you've heard this before. Profitable in North America and Asia, <laughs> big loss in Europe. This is starting to ring a bell. Uh, GM has been doing terribly in Europe for a long time. They haven't turned an operating profit there since 1999. Um, a year ago, this is a long time, a long time. A year ago, I wrote this article pitching that GM should walk out of Europe entirely, and everyone thought that was crazy, and the rationale is that they have some R&D centers there, they do some good design work there that they export throughout the world, and that they need a global presence. Well, Call me crazy, but if I owned a lemonade stand and it had lost money for 13 years in a row, I would shut the darn lemonade stand down and I would reevaluate where I'm putting my capital. Uh, this is not a problem that is going to change anytime soon, unfortunately, because it's a lot more difficult to shutter factories in Europe than it is in the U.S., um, and it's tough to do here. They got sped along because of the bankruptcy process. But all in all, Europe is still going to be the Achilles heel and will be for a long time for these guys, even though they're still operating relatively well in the U.S. and there are still costs coming out, still in a good position in China, even if it's slowing down. Yeah, I was going to say, Jason, uh, the CFO for General Motors was on CNBC this morning, and he basically couldn't give any prediction whatsoever <laughs> on when they were going to make money in Europe. Well, maybe that's along the lines of the no guidance thing we were talking about yesterday, yeah. right? Well, maybe we should look at that uh, optimistically. But I think the reason why this sounds familiar is because we talked about it just the other day with Ford. Uh, Ford is facing the same same problems, but Europe is, is killing them. And um, on the call there, uh, CEO Alan Mulally said that the problems there were not cyclical; they are structural, structural, and they're going to be shutting down plants and, and cutting jobs there. Period. I, it feels like GM is in the same boat, yep. and uh, and I don't see any way around it. So, if you're looking at the automotive industry and you're an investor and you're thinking you want some sort of exposure, is it? I mean, I, I don't want to write. I, I would never write off companies this big and and with you know as big a market share as they have. Particularly when, as we talk about, Ford I think and, that's okay sometimes. And, and GM, you know, they're doing well in in North America and you know, in Latin America and, and other places as well. But is is it better if you're looking to get involved in the automotive industry? Is it better to just go in sort of on a side industry like automotive parts? I would or probably AutoZone or you know, like a, a, an investment like that. I would go Mattel. Just because you can buy into Hot Wheels, I think Jeff was here. He'd legitimate. go Mastercard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Not, I think Mattel. Brian, what do you think? Yeah, so the auto parts suppliers are a tough one because uh, the strength in negotiations tends to uh, reside with the big automakers. So they just uh, the automakers are able to demand pricing concessions year in and year out from the auto parts suppliers. So that's a slippery slope. I don't know if you want to. I don't know if you want to play it from that angle. But uh, you hit on AutoZone, which is a good way to play. Uh, at least in North America, because the average age of cars on the road is higher than it's ever been. So if you're looking right now, uh, I'd say that's the pl- that's the place to go. Uh, there are only a few auto parts suppliers out there that are worth their salt. Uh, Joe, uh, what do you think on that? And, and how is GM stock looking to you today from a valuation standpoint? 
I still like GM. It's been the worst performing recommendation. I've made it inside value, so that definitely hurts. I own a boatload of it, or it's a much smaller boatload now. Uh, <laughs> a, a dinghy load? <laughs> a dinghy load, a bucket load. Uh, it's done pretty terribly, but you know, big picture, I still like the general trajectory of how they're managing costs. I do think there's still a lot of pent-up demand in North America, which is the most important market for them. And you know, a lot of people... This hurts, and it's a double-edged sword, but back during the bankruptcy process, they basically stopped investing in new product development. They've since rolled out of that, and because of that, they didn't have any new cars, effectively, to compete with the likes of Ford for a couple of years, and Ford just ate their lunch. But GM is replacing 70% of their U.S. nameplates this year and next. So they're getting a lot of new cars out there, and they're going to gain share back, and they're going to win business, and Uncle Sam's going to sell his stake. But you know, it's taken a lot longer than I expected, and I still like the stock, but it's been an ugly, bumpy ride. Shares of Abercrombie & Fitch down 15% this morning after the company lowered guidance for both the quarter and the full year. Same-store sales fell 10%. Meanwhile, Jason, shares of Gap are up after same-store sales went up 10%. And yesterday, we saw American Eagle um, raise its forecast. Same-store sales growing at 9%. What is what are American Eagle and Gap doing that Abercrombie and Fitch is not doing? So I don't shop at Abercrombie and Fitch. I do get to Old Navy every once in a while. Um, don't shop at the Gap. Can't say much about American Eagle uh, other than Aaron Bush over there is wearing an American Eagle shirt. Our but intern sitting in. In looking in looking up some of the information on on Abercrombie and Fitch, I, I think it's safe to say that it's a it's a spicy meatball. And I mean, we're talking about a company here <laughs> in a graphic tee <laughs> that has, uh, I mean, made news for potentially genetically altering uh, colognes and perfumes to racist incidents with uh, offensive T-shirts. And most recently, I think they were known for trying to sell my seven-year-old a push-up bikini. I think it was eight, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I think they they do a lot to create press, good and bad, and yep. and you know ultimately it all boils down to just sales. And it's they they target a very specific audience. And when you see these July same store sales come out, I mean we've seen big moves today by companies. Uh, Gap is up, obviously. Aeropostale and Abercrombie and Fitch are down. Uh, these are they're going to be some poor quarters coming up for those companies. And I think that when you look at something like Gap, the one thing that I do like about Gap over these other companies, there are a lot of brands under that umbrella. So you have Gap, Old Navy, uh, Banana Republic, and even Athleta, which all seem to have a place in, in everyone's household in some capacity. And so they do have a little bit to fall back on, whereas as companies like Abercrombie and & Fitch and Aeropostale are much more niche target audiences that if they go out of style, they go out of style quick and it's tough to get back. Brian, what do you think? Yeah, another big part of the Aber- Abercrombie story is Europe. Uh, the same the same people who weren't buying cars in Europe uh, aren't buying Abercrombie clothes in Europe. I think U.S. sales were down like 5% for the company, and uh, European sales were down 25%. Wow. Uh, so it's, you know, 5x magnitude difference there. Um and so that's that's a really big deal. And when you have a brand like Abercrombie and a brand like Gap, you know, Gap has a much more institutionalized European presence. Uh, people are much more familiar with that brand. And so I think it probably resonated a little better uh, during tough times than, say, Abercrombie. You look at Gap. I mean, Gap is a significantly bigger company than the other two. I mean, Abercrombie Fitch is around $3 billion market cap. Aeropostale is around 4 and that's after today's sell-offs. And Gap is around 14 and so it's significantly bigger. It's been around for a little bit longer, and, and I think has uh, had a little chance to sort of feel out its markets better. 
Chris, can I go soapbox real quick? Sure, absolutely. The market's uh, focus on same-store sales is sort of crazy, right? They come out with monthly projections most places, uh, and these stocks, you know, they capitulate wildly based on what the sales during a month, any given month, uh, happen to be. Uh, This is not the way you need to look at these companies, but investors continue to look at them this way. I mean, looking forward, more and more percentage of these companies' revenues is going to come from online sales, which generally isn't captured in same-source sales numbers. So uh, before everyone you know, shoots from the hip and reacts on same-source sales, make sure you know the makeup of the business, whether or not you know, the company is trying to hit on the latest, greatest fashion trends or whether it's trying to do something else altogether. So it's, is it fair to say that same-store sales are less relevant for apparel retailers like this than they are for a Whole Foods, a Starbucks, that sort of thing? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's fair to say. And I think it's also a fair thing to say that going forward uh, for these retailers, uh, same-store sales are going to matter less and less and less. Joe, what do you think? I kind of sort of agree with that. I think the online point is a very good one and will become even more important over time goes on. Um, the thing with mall retail, I, I hate the space. Consumer preferences are so fickle, and they change so easily. And mall retail is just such a tough place to establish long-term competitive advantages. I think part of the reason these stocks are so sensitive to same-store sales changes is that essentially they're just riding fads. Like None of these guys, very few of them, are creating a lot of shareholder value over 10, 20 years. And so sometimes they'll go on a run and do incredibly well when, I don't know, they have a you know set of plaid cargo shorts that are hot. Um, <laughs> but once everybody copycats it and they miss a trend, they're back to having another tough couple quarters. And to me, it's just a really tough space to make money over the long term. And that's why I avoid it. I almost hesitate to ask this, uh, starting with the guy who just referred to the notion that plaid cargo shorts could be hot. <laughs> but um, what's what's your go-to location for, for your clothing options, Joe? Bonobos. Bonobos.com. It's uh, Clothing geared towards guys who spend slightly too much money on clothing with athletic fit. Okay, that sounds like a little. So, pitch. like, you go to Banana Republic, right? You get a shirt there. It's basically like an A line. Like it's it's like you're Joe wearing, just said A line. Yes. I, I just lost right I have no idea what that means. What is an A line? I'm, well, I'm I'm fashion. An A line is kind of like it angles out. Okay. from underneath your armpits. Mm. Basically, okay. it gives you a little bit of room if you're a little on the you know. Is there an a line? You're looking for a little blousiness. Yeah, but I'm not going to the gym to wear an A-line. I mean, I want something that actually fits my torso. Okay. <laughs> Moving from Joe's torso. Hinman knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> I have no idea what an today. A-line is. Hinman, where are you getting your clothes? Man. Uh, so I'm going to answer this one two ways. First off, my wife is a huge fan of Nordstrom's. Mm. Uh, she loves the service, and they. she comes away from that store feeling good somehow okay. anyway <laughs> that, that, that all plays into that all plays into the fact that she dresses me so my go-to is sort of nordstrom's but right now i have a i have a, a longing for smart wool uh and you can get this at any at like what the hell is smart wool, smart, wool, wool is a, it's wool genetically is a, engineered sheep yeah wool yeah. is a fantastic fabric it's incredibly uh, insulating i know what wool is i'm asking <laughs> what is smart wool man chris smart wool is a brand Okay. Uh, and so they sell it at like REI and other outdoorsy stores. Or you can, I'm sure, smartwool.com is their website. I, this just shows how different we are. <laughs> I get hankerings for Mexican food. You get hankerings for smartwool. Jason, where are you I'm living from? the dream. You know, I, I get uh, everywhere from Old Navy to Old Navy shirt here to polo shorts that I'm wearing. And a lot of times it does just kind of fall back on what my wife ends up bringing home for me. So 
You know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Moving on, shares of Green Mountain Coffee Roasters up more than 30% today. Brian, earnings were better than expected, but the company lowered guidance for the full year. So I have to ask, what in the world is going on here? Because usually it's the guidance that trumps the results. So what's happening with Green Mountain? This company's completely crazy. <laughs> Uh, wait, wait. <laughs> the company is crazy or the people who are investing and possibly shorting the stock are crazy? I, I make no judgment on them. The company is crazy. <laughs> okay. How so? Uh, so the reason that these divergent things seem to be happening is most likely because there is 25% uh, short interest in the stock. So there are a lot of people betting against yep. uh, betting against the stock. And uh, along with the earnings announcement came the announcement that they were going to buy back a significant chunk of their shares on the order of like a sixth of the company, wow. uh, and that's pretty scary when you're uh, when you're short and betting against the company. So that's what I think the reason is for the stock market's reaction today. But we still have two you know two different stories going on here. There's the business, and then you know what is what is going on with the stock and the business. The company still has a lot of room to grow. It has about 11 million units out there, Keurig coffee units out there. And there are 90 million households that have coffee makers, so they're you know about one-ninth penetrated. They think that ultimately they can get to about 30 million units. So they may be only be in the third inning uh, of, of what they're doing. Uh, they're trying to you know sell different drinks, make different drinks in their K-cups. And uh, you know one of the big overhangs of the stock, though, is that they have these patent expirations coming this year, uh, which basically is going to allow other companies to make pods for their coffee makers. So there's a lot going on in the stock. There's a lot going on in the business. And when, all of, when, when that sort of uh, thing is happening, you get these wild reactions. Joe, what do you think of this? Because we, we've seen recently, um, I mean, this is a con- competitive space when you look across the coffee industry. And you know, maybe the, the best recent evidence of that is the fact that Pete's coffee is being taken private. Uh, what do you think of what's going on with Green Mountain? Well, if you're like me, you've spent the past couple of minutes looking at your iPad, evaluating smart wool. <laughs> <laughs> These socks look pretty nice, but they, they're really expensive. I mean, they're, they come from sheep in New Zealand. All right. So Green Mountain, <laughs> I think you look at the numbers, they weren't uh, great. And my initial impression was that they were very bad and the stock was down 12% after hours. And then somehow it zooms forward 30% today. I've never seen anything like that. Uh, to Brian's point, I think it has to do with the buyback and the amount of short interest there. But you know, gross margins tightened up a couple uh, percentage points, which is never good. And inventory is a real issue Ooh. there. Like They just haven't managed it well. There's poor earnings quality. Uh, sales were up 21%, but inventory was up 60%. Uh, that is not a sustainable trend yep. and definitely spooky. And their inability to manage that well, and maybe I'm putting it uh, generously there, is part of the reason the stock has just been hammered, seeing growth slow down. But there are a lot of questions about their accounting and their execution. Yeah. Have you so, seen the new infomercial for this thing? No. Like the new Green, Green Mountain machine? I mean, they no. got Jenny Garth pushing this thing. Jenny Garth. Yeah, it seems like he can do no wrong. Nine zero two one zero. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, must have been cheap. <laughs> to be to be fair to Joe's point about inventory. So I'm, I don't I don't want to stick up for this company. They have done a horrible job managing inventory and accounts receivable in the past. This is uh, a very questionable earnings quality company here. But uh, this quarter they always stock up on coffee and they stock up on parts to build their machines ahead of the uh, the holiday season. So okay. we sort of we always see you know this sort of uh, tick up 
during calendar. But the, the bottom line remains the company. Everyone claims that this, you know, the stock is cheap because it's a low earning. You know, it's got a low earnings multiple, single digit earning PE. But the company doesn't make any free cash flow. So even if you assume that uh, earnings are cash and you you totally ignore the fact that they, uh, you know, spend all this money on inventory uh, and working capital, uh, the stock at best, is trading at 30 times free cash flow, and that's fictitious free cash flow. So when you factor in everything you just said, combined with competition from the likes of Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, and others, Caribou Coffee as well, um, what's more likely two, three years from now? This is still a company that's a standalone company that's growing, or Green Mountain gets acquired by someone else? So I'm going to say growth asterisks. Uh, I think that the top line here, uh, there, this this is a growing market, and they will play a serious role in the at-home brewing, uh, single-cup brewing. Uh, however, with the patents expiring as they are this year, and other companies allowed to uh, you know make pods that fit the, the Keurig machines, it's going to give uh, the partners of uh, Green Mountain, like Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts, who you know our partners in making K-Cups, uh, it's going to uh, give them more power to negotiate a better sp- uh, profit split yep. uh, going forward because they can threaten to leave to go somewhere else. They've never had that power before, and all of a sudden that power is going to manifest itself in long-term margin deterioration for a Green Mountain. Beam's second quarter profit was higher than expected thanks to strong bourbon sales. Uh, Jason? Why is the stock down if if the results well, are as good as they are? To be fair, I mean, the stock is down a little bit less than a percent on a day where the overall market is kind of getting hammered. So I don't know that it's really any kind of an overreaction to anything. It was a good quarter. And in all honesty, I think Beam continues to do a great job post spinoff from Fortune Brands. Uh, it's traditionally a bourbon heavy portfolio. Yep. So they're making some acquisitions to build up the vodka uh, piece of it. And so the White Rock Distilleries acquisition, which they recently closed on, is a good example of that. Vodka is about 30% of the overall spirits market. So it's a smart move there. Uh, Performance in North America was great. We love drinking our bourbon here. Yes, Europe was relatively flat. Asia was a little bit down. So I think we're going to see, uh, you know, as far as, as consumer spending goes, as long as it's down, I don't think you know Beam is, is necessarily going to benefit from that. But I do like Spirit's resiliency here. And so when you look at a company like Beam, it's much smaller than a bigger player like Diageo, which is, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of six times as big market cap-wise. Uh, but on a valuation Standpoint, you know, Diageo trades for about twenty-six times earnings, and and Beam trades for about twenty-five times full-year estimates this year. Which, you know, from a growth perspective, makes Beam look pretty attractive today. I was going to say, Joe, uh, your father uh, was in town. Uh, I guess it was a couple of months ago, and he sat in when we were taping uh, the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. And I remember we were talking afterwards, and he, I mean, he's he's in the spirits business, and he was very bullish on bourbon as a category. Um, yeah. I mean... He was. Uh, well, I, I, I Aren't guess, you? <laughs> I, I certainly am, but that's because I consume a great deal of it. Um, um, but I guess, I guess I'm wondering sort of, you know, what's the threat here for an industry like this? Because it would seem like, um, if nothing else, the time to market when it comes to bourbon um, is a little bit of a challenge. You know, it's, when we talk about you know, companies managing their inventory, there's only so quickly you can generate inventory if you're producing a product. That, 18-year-old Scott. I was going to say, if you're taking a product, producing a product that takes anywhere from two to 20 years to produce. Well, part of the 
Part of the reason I really like the uh, Skinny Girl Vodka pickup and that acquisition is that it really diversifies them away where you've got a white spirit on one end with, you know, vodka and Skinny Girl. Just from the name, you can kind of imagine how they're positioning this. <laughs> and the other end of the spectrum, they've got Jim Beam and Maker's Mark, which are heavier drinks and positioned to a different demographic. So it gives them a little more balance should taste change. And, you know, all in all, I think they've done a nice job of managing the brands they've got. Uh, net sales growth for Maker's Mark was up 29% this past year, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, bourbon's just delicious, Chris. <laughs> you don't have to sell me on that. <laughs> uh, somewhat related, um, uh, news from our producer, Matt Greer. Uh, the Alabama Alcoholic Beverage Control Board has reversed its position and will now allow stores to sell Dirty Bastard and Backwoods Bastard beers. Uh, they will be joining Fat Bastard Wine. Um, which I first learned about, I guess, a decade or so ago. Uh, Dirty Bastard Beer is sold in 23 states, and Alabama was the first to object to the name. Um, in your dad's store, is he selling these products? Yeah, we, I think we got Fat Bastard. We also have Menage a Trois. Menage a Trois wine. Yeah. Right now. Um, do, you, do you have a, a favorite uh, name for a beer or a wine? Uh, yeah, Boom Shaka Lager from Terrapin. <laughs> Easily the best. That's strong. Brian, what about you? Man, you you are really putting me on the spot here, Chris. I am. I'm sorry. Uh, no, yeah. I'm just I, kidding. I've I'm got not, nothing. I'm not sorry, uh, Jason. <laughs> I got one that makes me feel good. Samuel Adams Honey Porter. It's not, you know, anything that really catches the attention. But when I hear it, man, I can taste it. Oh, Yellow Snow from Rogue, <laughs> the, the winter IPA they roll out around Christmas time. It's delicious. Brian, one more shot. Anything? Uh, Golden Monkey. Golden yeah, Monkey. Yeah. Is that a beer? It is a beer. All right. All right. Where can I find it? Joe's father's liquor store. <laughs> <laughs> That's Beverage Depot through Miles Northwood Parkway and Highway 9. Brian I-95 Street South. <laughs> Jason Moser, Joe Baker. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank thanks. you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hell. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.